Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Junkie. We launched our Sigler Ascension Day with new merch at scottsigler.com. It's amazing. Jot down the code Ascension2023. That's A-S-C-E-N-S-I-O-N-2023. All together, one word, and say 15% on everything that we sell in the store through the end of February 2023. So that's all the all the all the merch, all the shirts, some of the books, books that link out to like Amazon stuff. We can't help you with that one. That you're on your own there. We've got new stuff. We got these great stay girthy mugs. They're awesome. We've got mugs for the PUV James Keeling from the Crip series, which is out this fall, and a crew shirt from the Keeling as well. Uh, with that shirt, the only way out is to die or to wash with colors on normal cycle and rinse. Either way, really, same thing. So go to scottsigler.com slash store and see the new goodies. Lots of old goodies as well. we got team shirts from the Krakens, the Orbiting Death, the Wabash Wolfpack, and many, many more. We are working on getting the Krakens jerseys back in the store, but they're not available yet. When we get that done, we will holler out to everybody. So go check out that stuff if you're interested. That is it for my jibber jab. Let me get you caught up in the story so far for Slate, and we're all going to go go for a spacewalk. Previously on Slay. Lincoln's shootout with Pragman bathed the Nerp Perp's alley in blood. Lincoln wanted to kill Billy and collect the $50,000 bounty on Billy's head, but had a change of heart just as the Flechette sisters were coming down the alley to cash in. The sisters were in hot pursuit, but Shitbird's aerial bombardment bought Lincoln and Billy a bit of time. With the Flechettes in hot pursuit, Boss Hog closing in, and Oleus Oakbeard lurking somewhere nearby, Lincoln tries to get Billy to safety. The man in gray had somehow climbed up the side of a building, dragging Billy along until he'd thrown Billy up onto the roof and was now climbing down the far side of that same building, dragging Billy along, but in the flash fire of sights and sensations, climbing down felt an awful lot like plummeting toward the ground at terminal velocity. A flutter in Billy's stomach, in his heart. He slowed so quickly he almost threw up. The man in gray dropped Billy on the back of a sleek, futuristic-looking motorcycle, then hopped on himself and grabbed the handlebars. If you fall off, I'm not coming back for you, the cloak man said. You won't get a second warning. Billy threw his arms around the chest of the man who had murdered Joe and squeezed tight. Billy felt the armor beneath the gray cloak. He expected the gurgle of an engine, but there was none. The bike took off like a shot. Billy had never been on a motorcycle before, hadn't expected such a yanking lurch. He almost lost his grip. The man in gray slowed slightly to turn a corner, and Billy adjusted, this time locking his arms around and grabbing his own wrist in a death grip. Crap, the man in gray said. We got company. He spoke in a normal voice, not needing to shout to be heard over a roaring engine. Was this motorcycle electric? or magic. Billy looked over his shoulder. Three or four cars back, a huge white pickup truck weaved through traffic, closing fast. Who is that? You don't want to know, the man in gray said. 
Hold on. Billy tightened his grip just before the motorcycle surged forward. At the intersection, the man in gray banked the bike up onto the empty sidewalk. He had to be doing 50 miles an hour. Buildings and doors whipped by on Billy's right, parked cars and streetlight poles on his left. The truck struggled to keep up. It was early, there weren't that many cars on the road, but there was enough traffic to require the truck to swerve into the oncoming lane to pass some vehicles. Billy heard a screeching from above. It was faint, like it was close and also yet it was worlds away. He glanced up, saw large birds, but they weren't just birds. They had overlays, just like Pragman's six-shooters, those women's swords, and the croco bear. The overlay gleamed and glimmered in the sun. Long, snake-like bodies. Two sets of wings, one near their head, and a second, smaller set on their long tail. Six of the creatures. No, seven. We got some crazy shit chasing from above, Billy said. I think they're... I can't really make them out. The man in gray glanced up, snapped his eyes back to the sidewalk. You can see the cradle bats? Billy pressed his head tighter to the man in gray's back as a bent stop sign whizzed close, only inches away. I don't know, Billy said. Do cradle bats have two sets of wings? If so, then yes, I sort of see cradle bats. The man in gray slowed at a red light, but he didn't stop. He turned hard right, joining the flow of cars going through the intersection, speeding up instantly to put distance between the bike and the white truck, which screeched to a halt before it rear-ended a stop car in front of it. Kid, the man in gray said, important question. Are you on Nurple, like, right now? I had one hit of Nurple two days ago. I've been seeing nightmare shit and magic, whatever the fuck, the whole time, okay? It's fading, but it's still there, and... A rush of motion out of the corner of Billy's eye as something whipped past. A long line of pain seared across his right shoulder. He looked up, saw one of the cradle bats flying away. That motherfucker cut me, Billy said. The goddamn thing with two sets of wings just cut me. Get me out of here. The bike tilted right, then left, as the man in gray drove between cars. Billy clutched him tighter, held on for dear life. A booming voice from the sky rang out, made the air shake, and yet it simultaneously sounded like an echo from some distant cavern. Lincoln Franks, imagine my luck that you are with the mark. Billy looked up. How much more of this shit was he supposed to take? In the sky above the street hovered a fat man with a prodigious belly. He wore flowing, dark green robes and had a long, thick beard that looked like gnarled tree bark. Sunlight gleamed off his bald head. There wasn't even a hint of a breeze, but beard and robes alike fluttered as if in a strong wind. Lincoln drove back onto the street and accelerated. I will have my revenge this day, you vile scum, the booming voice called. I will have satisfaction from your insolence. Billy pressed his cheek to the man in Gray's back. This guy has it out for you, man, Billy said. What did you do to him? The man in Gray turned a hard left, 
Cutting in front of an old Ford, they hit the brakes and leaned on the horn. I kind of banged his daughter, the man in gray said. I think we lost Boss Hog, but we got to shake Oleus up there. Traffic was increasing as the city awoke. More workers and shoppers out on the streets. The man in gray didn't have quite as much room to maneuver. As they shot through an intersection, Billy looked left and saw something that could not be. The two hot chicks who had come after him in the alley were on scooters, sliding through traffic, the blonde on a black Vespa, the brunette on one the same color as the blonde's hair. Except Billy could see, faintly, so, so faintly, the telltale, ghostly overlay. The women were riding muscle-bound panthers, one black and gleaming like dark, polished stone, the other blonde and blazing like glimmering metal. Streams of smoke plumed from both cats' nostrils, smoke that curled away behind them as they ran. Uh, hey, Jedi wannabe guy, those big titty bitches are back. I see them, the man in gray said, speaking just loud enough to be heard above the hum of the almost silent bike. I can't take Betty and Veronica and Oleus on at once, and if I stop to fight them, Boss Hog will catch up and we are toast. Billy wanted to go home. He wanted to go home right the fuck now. Betty and Veronica, are you fucking with me? That's their names. This ain't a good time to be fucking with me, man. This ain't a good time to be fucking with me. There's only one way out of this. The man in gray angled the bike to the left, just missing a parked car's opening door. Those nightmares you've been seeing, you're still seeing? If you come with me, you will see them for the rest of your life. You'll see the world the way it really is. There's no going back, kid. I can stop long enough for you to get off and you can take your chances, or you come with me and you be changed forever. A parade of images rushed through Billy's mind. The Crocobear, Pragman Six Shooters, the Talking Mailbox, Longtooth, the Ogre, the Glowing Store Signs, Goblin Dante, the Hot Chicks with the Swords and the shadow monsters that ate Big Hack. Billy would see things like that all the time. Would he be living in a hallucination, or would he wake up to see a world that no one knew existed? If I don't go with you, what happens? Your severed head will be inside a box inside of 15 minutes. Oh, well, that was a factor now, wasn't it? Billy wished he could talk to Grandma, ask her what she thought, but there wasn't time, and he wasn't about to lead these insane, magical killers to her door. If the man in gray was right, if Nurple had let Billy pierce the veil of reality and see things as they really were, did he even want to put the blinders on ever again? He didn't. For all the nightmares he'd seen, and all he might see still, he simply did not. I'm with you, Billy said. Where are you taking me? I'm taking you to the men's room at the train station.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The men's room at the train station? Bro, look, I want to live, but I don't swing that way, all right? Lincoln's jaw clenched. He was saving this idiot kid's life. And the kid thought Lincoln wanted a beeger in a bathroom stall or something? You're not my type, Lincoln said. Do what I say, when I say, if you want your head to stay attached to your neck. It was not lost on Lincoln that, a mere 15 minutes earlier, he had almost removed said head from said neck. He felt a tingling sensation in his head. Not a vision from Shitbird exactly, but more of a sense of urgency with an implied direction. The Flechette sisters were closing in, and Oleus Oakbeard kept pace overhead. Lincoln had to get the kid inside before the druid launched a full-on assault with the Crattlebats. And what was that old coot prattling on about anyway? It wasn't like Tawny Oakbeard hadn't been the one to initiate the horizontal mamba in the first place. The train station was one of the city's oldest buildings, built at a time when the world's magic had been more prominent, when Freemasons had been designers of many larger buildings. All across the globe, their primary stone-based designs dotted every major city, many smaller ones as well, and there were plenty of small-town edifices to boot. Ten blocks to go. Lincoln would be there inside of a minute. Traffic was picking up. That worked against Boss Hogg, but not against Lincoln, who could slide between cars. The Flechette sisters had that same advantage. The Big Panther split lanes just like Lincoln did. He wondered, briefly, what the unenlightened saw when they looked upon the sisters. Two women on motorcycles, perhaps? A couple of spandex-wearing dudes on bicycles? Lincoln wouldn't know. Couldn't know, unless he talked to someone who saw their illusions and not the real thing. He could check with Billy later. If they survived, that was. Lincoln turned onto Alden Street and saw the looming mass of the train station only five blocks ahead. It took up two city blocks all by itself, a gothic construct of heavy tan stone blocks and carved pillars. 
A shadow passing overhead was Lincoln's only warning before razor-sharp claws raked his hood, a flyby that smacked his head to the left and almost made him dump the bike. He instantly regained his balance and kept racing for the station. Ah! Billy screamed. Get these motherfucking things off of me! Why'd you fuck his daughter? You shouldn't have fucked his daughter! A glance up, the left, and to the right. The iridescent cradle bats were circling them, diving into strike, glimmering, arm-length serpents with hooked steel-blue beaks, a two-foot wingspan, and rear legs reminiscent of an eagle's legs if an eagle did roids and never skipped leg day. Har, Frank! You feel the sting of my darlings! Oleus roared with the volume of a storm, enough to rattle windows if his voice had been of the unenlightened world. Lincoln started to shout back, She wanted it! But he stopped himself. That phrase wasn't exactly going to help the cause at this moment. Words had never been his strong point. A powerful burst of emotion from Shitbird. Lincoln gave in to it, let it become his own. His left hand shot up and out, clamped down on the razor-tipped claws of a striking cradlebat. Pain dug deep in Lincoln's palm as a sharp point found its way through his gauntlet, but he didn't let go. He snapped his hand forward, then back, the motion rattling the creature, possibly breaking its spine. Lincoln threw it down hard in the verge's path. His front tire bounced slightly as it rolled over the four-winged creature, squirting its innards to the side in a jet of gore that splattered against a rust-eaten Camry. Ah! Bitch on a panther, man! Bitch on a panther! Lincoln glanced left, saw Veronica, the brunette Flechette sister, astride her shimmering blonde panther, closing in. The panther ran low to the ground muscles fluttering and flittering beneath its fur. The sister's dark locks trailed out behind her. In her hand was a broadsword that gleamed wickedly in the morning light. Where was Betty? Up above, a half-dozen cradle bats circled like flying sharks, iridescent bodies rippling in preparation for another attack run. Lincoln brushed the threadwork on his bike's handlebars. The handlebars flared with electric, pulsing purple energy. Big building, three blocks ahead, he said, then let go of the brake and the throttle, knowing the spell would guide his bike to the goal. Lincoln reached into his cloak. Each hand found a comfortable, familiar friend. The left found Bastard Maker, eight centuries old and as deadly as the day it was forged. And the right, the hilt, of Tizona, Blade of Legend. Kid, let go of me. We need to switch places. Ready? Switch places with you? Are you out of your motherfucking mind? This bitch got a sword and this little dragon's cutting me to shit and there is a motherfucking panther man, a motherfuck. Lincoln slammed the butt of both weapons on the kid's hands. Little B hollered, more in pain than surprise, but he let go momentarily. Long enough for Lincoln to push off the pegs and hop onto the seat. Veronica slashed out with her broadsword. Lincoln turned, left foot kicking back, stepping over the kid as he did, and swung to Zona, knocking away the blade that would have cut the kid in half. A cradle bat's claws stretched for his face. Lincoln back-kicked his right foot over the kid and brought Bastard Maker up in a sharp short arc that cut the pretty creature in half.
Lincoln kneed the kid's back, pushing him forward. The kid's hand shot out, grabbed the handlebars. Why'd you fuck his daughter? The kid pulled himself forward, ducked his head low. You shouldn't have fucked his daughter, man! Lincoln switched weapons from hand to hand, swung Tizona down, and parried away Veronica's slash at the bike's rear tire. I can't steer this thing! The kid screamed. We're gonna hit this truck, man! Lincoln had time to drop his butt to the seat and pinch his thighs tight in an instant before the Verge TS banked right around a pickup truck stashed high with battered furniture. And there was Betty. On the sidewalk, only a few feet away, her onyx Black Panther's huge paws driving them quietly forward, angling for a hatchback parked up ahead. Betty tossed her broadsword from her right hand to her left. Lincoln knew the blonde was gauging the time he needed for a sideways thrust. The panther leapt onto the hatchback, sprang off at high and to its left, a vision of ultimate grace and lethality. A cradlebat landed hard on Lincoln's right shoulder, its dagger of a beak driving for his eye. He flinched away. Betty's blade skewered the snake-like beast, inadvertently saving Lincoln. Sometimes, it was better to be lucky than good. The beautiful black cat descended just to Lincoln's right. Lincoln timed the descent, swung Bastard Maker in a sharp arc. Just as the panther's front left paw touched the pavement, the hatchet blade bit into its foreleg. Cat and rider alike tumbled forward, rolling in a windmill of legs and blonde hair and feet and paws. In an instant, they were left behind. The bike slowed sharply. Lincoln found himself approaching the train station's ornate front entrance. He was off the bike before it fully came to a stop. Go home, he said to the bike. Take the long way and don't get followed. Lincoln grabbed the kid off the seat just as the TS shot away, weaving itself through traffic. The unenlightened would hear a Harley see a chubby old leather-clad biker riding it. The cradlebats circled above, agitated and thirsty for blood. Just higher than them, Oleus Oakbeard, descending, his robes fluttering on an eldritch wind, his eyes angry and lit with lightning. And on the street, closing in fast, Veronica, her mount's open mouth streaming smoke. Come on, kid, Lincoln said, running for the doors, and dragging Lil B along. We gotta get to the John. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Every 
every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.